Uh, well, to start our time together today, I want to do just a quick survey of the room, okay? So, by a show of hands, if you have ever walked, jogged, run a race in your life, whether it's a 5K, 10K, marathon, put your hand up right now. Okay, a lot of us. Very good. Okay, now, if you are still someone who walks, jogs, or runs, put your hand up. Wow, I'm impressed. Good job, South Street. I preached this last night at our Saturday night service, and there were like no hands. So good job. Very impressed. Um, I, would, uh, I would put myself in that first category. I have run. I'm not currently a runner. I'm a, a, a lapsed or reformed runner. Um, back when we were in college, my wife Judy and I, we were dating at the time, um, and she came to me and she asked if I wanted to do a uh, 5K color run. Now, if you're not familiar with what that is, it's a 5K race, go ahead and put that first picture up, where they throw kind of this powdered paint at you throughout the race. You know, so in case running's not bad enough, they also throw stuff at you, and they look like they're having a miserable time. And, and we've been married uh, seven years now. If she came to me now and asked me if I wanted to do that, it would be an instant no. No chance, but I wanted her to like me at the time still, so we, uh, we said yes, we did it, and we show up to this race, and, and neither of us had trained at all. We start running, and we were just both instantly tired, and people just periodically throughout the race, they had these volunteers that would just have this powdered paint, and they would just chuck it at us, and these people are having the time of their lives. Like, they're having so much fun, and it gets down your throat, and by the end of this race, we were just both just exhausted and miserable, and we just wanted to go back, and, and we go to, to get to the car, and I realized that I have lost my keys. And so I didn't want to do one 5K, and I found myself doing my second 5K. As we go back around this lap, people are still throwing paint at me, and finally we find my keys, and then we get back, we took this second picture where I pretended to have a great time, because that's when you, what you do when you post things on social media, you lie. <laughs> Today, though, I want to talk to you about a different kind of race, a race that, that maybe is also difficult or tiring or frustrating a race that maybe we don't know if we will get to the finish as we come to this final week of our series by faith. We started this all the way back in June. It's hard to believe summer is uh, come and gone, and and this is uh, our last week of this series. And by now, if you've been coming with us and tracking along with us, you, you know what we've been doing in this series, don't you? We've been going to Hebrews chapter 11, this faith hall of fame chapter, and looking at all these incredible stories of people that lived by faith. We've done so so that we too can examine and consider what it means for us in today's world, in our lives here, how we can also live by faith. And so today as we finish the series, what we're going to do is just read the first two verses of Hebrews chapter 12 as we see the author of this letter's big idea, the main thing that we've been shown over and over that throughout this series and, and throughout scripture we see that God's desire for us is more than simply good behavior and more than simply following the rules. That God desires for us to live by and walk by faith. What we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we would walk by faith and not by sight. So today, again, we're going to look at just the first couple of verses and consider, in light of all that we've looked at throughout the series, in light of all the stories, all the examples, all of the lessons— what it, is, what it is about this faith that we have been called to. So, if you have a Bible with you, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. We'll put the words on the screen as well. This is the first two verses. It says this. Therefore, 
Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So today I just want to point out a few things to you that we see in this text. We see a cloud, a race, and an example. We'll start with the cloud. Um, It's been a while since I've been here. I mentioned that earlier. I know uh, most of you that I talked to before service asked uh, how my son Luca is doing. And don't worry, I brought a picture with me. Uh, I know that's what you're all here for. Isn't he a cutie? Uh, This is a good representation of my life right now where almost all the attention is on him. And then there's me in the background making a weird face trying to get a laugh. That's pretty much us right now. Um, He's doing well. Those of you that have been asking and praying, we're we're very grateful for the support of our church family. Um, He is at the stage in his life where he is thinking about crawling. Um, In fact, I was watching him the other day, and he was on all fours, and he lifted one leg up and like moved it forward, and then he was like shocked by what he did. (laughs) Like he just looked back, and he's like, what did I do? That was so cool. And then he fell immediately. It was great. One of the things, though, that he's started to do more and more is, is starting to mirror what he sees us do, what, what he sees from his parents. And so when we smile or when we clap our hands or, or make a noise, he's learned, and it's so fun to see his brain kind of figure all this stuff out, he's learned that he can do the same thing in response. And so sometimes me and him will just like scream at each other back and forth. It's a great time. <laughs> but watching him do that has, has reminded me of what this whole series has been about. It's reminding me of what we see in verse 1. Look at this. We see that we are surrounded by this cloud, this group of people that we've been looking at over these last three months, people like Noah and Moses and Joseph, people who were ordinary people who lived extraordinary lives because of their faith. And notice how the author describes them as witnesses. Witnesses, not of us, not not looking down from heaven, that's not the the picture that I think we're being shown here, but rather that they are witnesses for us, that we are to look to them as examples, that we are to look at the faith that they show, and we are to see that if God can use people like them, then, then we can mirror that as well, that we can respond in the same way. This is a theme that we've looked at over and over in the series, that God sees more than our brokenness or our failures, or our problems. God did not see the brokenness of Abraham, the the mistakes that he made, the lies that he told to protect himself. He did not see those as disqualifying to use Abraham in a mighty way. He did not see the, the selfishness of Jacob, the background of Rahab, and say, that's just too much. They're unworthy. I will find someone better and more deserving. He saw more in them, and he sees more in you. He does not see someone who is too young or too old. He does not see someone who doesn't have enough knowledge, who has too many flaws. He doesn't see someone that the world has written off. He sees you as you truly are. He sees more. We have a cloud of witnesses for this race that has been set before us. That's what verse 1 tells us. In other words, that each of us have been given examples. Examples for what it looks like to live by faith. That we've been given the example of Abel. Remember him? 
This example of offering up the the finest things that he has to sacrifice to God to remind and encourage us that true worship is offering God our best. We've been given Noah building an ark when everybody told him he was crazy for those who feel like they're the only ones following God. We've been given Abraham and Sarah, a barren couple that would birth a great nation. For those of us that don't know where God is leading us or how he will get us there. Isaac, for those struggling with God's goodness. Jacob, for those wrestling against God's control. Moses, to the one called into leadership. And Rahab, for the one who feels unworthy. This is the point, I think, that the author is making, that faith was always meant to be done in community. Looking to others for strength and guidance and encouragement. This is why we as a church value things so highly like doing Rooted or joining a small group or, or a women's Bible study or a men's group. All of those things add people to your cloud of witnesses. They give you that support. They give you that encouragement. They give you that guidance. We know that one of the best ways to grow in our faith is to surround ourselves with people that have that same desire. Isn't it easier Those of you that run or walk or jog, isn't it easier when you have someone to do that with you? Isn't it easier to have that accountability, to to have that support, to to have people that that encourage you and strengthen you and, and build you up? See, this is what we as followers of Jesus must consider. Who is it that is in my cloud of witnesses? Who am I modeling myself after? Who is walking with me in this race of faith? Can I encourage you to do something? Um, if you are the type of person who wants like a, a, an action step when you hear a message, you want a, a practical thing to do, here's what you can do, and this will take a few minutes of your time, but, but it could have a big impact in your life. Here's something you could do. Take five minutes and write down just names of people that are in your cloud of witnesses. People that have encouraged you, walked with you, guided you in your faith. People in scripture, people in history, people that are still in your lives today. And then what I want you to do and want to encourage you to do is, is take one of those names, find one of those people on your list, and especially someone that is still in your life today, and what I want you to do is write them or call them or sit down with them and tell them thank you. Thank them for being in your cloud. Thank them for their faith and how it has impacted you and see what happens. We've been given this gift of a cloud of witnesses. Reading this text and uh, thinking about this cloud, there's a question that I've been convicted by, and I've just been wrestling through all week, and and I'm tired of doing that on my own, so I'm going to give it to you. Um, Here's the question. It's a two-part question. Whose cloud am I in, and what kind of witness am I? Whose cloud am I in, and what kind of witness am I? In other words, for the people in my life that I have influence over, for my family members, my coworkers, my neighbors, whoever it may be, if they were to model their faith, their habits, their language, their thoughts, after what they see in me, where would that lead them? Do you ever think about that? That if we said what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, that if others were to imitate me, what kind of faith would they see? If my coworker or classmate or neighbor's only interaction with Christianity or church or Jesus 
is the way that I treat them. What impression would that leave? See, this, I think, is what the author is showing us, that each one of our Old Testament heroes had their time and stepped out in faith, and God did what he so often does. He blessed it. He multiplied it. He used it in mighty ways. He brought about this nation and this promise and this line that led to Jesus. And this is what we're being shown, that the baton has been passed to us, to the church, that our time is here. Our race has arrived, that we have been given this chance to join this great cloud of witnesses. We are to join these witnesses that our kids and our grandkids and the generations that are to come would look at us and one thing would be undeniably true. Not that we're perfect. Not that we have it all figured out. Not that we never make mistakes anymore. But that we have a faith that cannot be shaken. That God uses that faith in mighty ways. Do not miss your opportunity and your race. Don't miss what God has put in front of you. This is our chance to be part of this cloud, not because of our greatness, but because of his. That brings us to the next thing I want to focus on. We see this race. Go back to Hebrews 12 with me. We read the middle section of these verses. It says, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. In other words, this is what a life of faith looks like. A race, a competition, getting to the finish line. And here we see four ways to run your race well. We'll go through these pretty quick. First, we see that a life of faith is a focused one. A focused one. Verse 2, we're told to fix our eyes, to focus, to look to Jesus, this founder and perfecter, this ultimate example of, of what it means to live by faith. Can I tell you an embarrassing story? Um, I'm going to either way. So this happened a couple weeks ago. I was at the Mill Creek campus. I don't know if any of you have been to the Mill Creek campus uh, recently, but the stage is nothing like this stage. Uh, You know, we have these nice steps here where you can kind of ease your way down. At Mill Creek, it just goes straight down, and at the very corner, there are some stairs. And I'm telling you this because I was at Mill Creek uh, before a Saturday night service. I was doing a mic check, and I was talking to the guys in the sound booth in the back, and I was looking at them as I went to go down the stairs, and I went to go down the top stair, and after I put my foot down, I realized that I was nowhere near the stairs, and I tumbled down like a tree. I went straight down. I think I've got maybe a year left before that starts breaking parts of me, but somehow I survived, and I got up, and everyone was staring at me, and they were looking at me, and it was half concern, and it was half trying not to laugh. And I'm telling you this because I've already heard this story start getting around, and I'm getting ahead of it because clearly I'm over it. It's fine. But this, I I think, is a slightly embarrassing but also maybe accurate and helpful picture of what verse 2 is telling us here, that unless your eyes are fixed on Jesus, unless your eyes are fixed on the right thing, you will always end up stumbling and tripping and falling. I think for us today, there's a danger that we can focus too much on ourselves and we can live this kind of selfish and self-centered life, or we can focus too much on others, on someone else's race, on what someone else has, on how their kids and their grandkids are doing, on the trips that they're taking, on the status that they have. 
And both of these things are a recipe for a fall. This is what the author is saying, to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Don't get distracted by what the world can offer you. Don't be deceived by what it says about you. Don't get caught up in someone else's race. Keep your eyes fixed on him. He is the finish line, and he is the prize. A life of faith is a focused one. Second, a life of faith is a sacrificial one. A sacrificial one. Go back to verse 1. Notice this phrase that we are to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Uh, My wife and I, we recently learned how stressful it is to fly with a baby. Uh, A few months ago, we went to a wedding in Florida, and so uh, it was his first time flying. And and I used to tease my wife about how much she would pack when we would go on trips, and then we had a baby, and it was so much worse. We were gone for four days. I think the entire nursery was empty. It was crazy. Um, And so we go to check the bag at the airport, and you know it has to be under 50 pounds, and and we clocked in at like 62 or something. And and so we're just taking everything out that we can. And I'm wearing like five layers of clothes, and my backpack's going to explode, and everyone behind us is probably so mad at us. But we didn't even care because they charge you so much. That fee is crazy, and we were not going to pay it. So we'll do whatever it takes to not pay that fee to get rid of that extra weight. And I think this is what the author is saying, to do whatever it takes to remove, to dispose, to lay aside any weight, any sin, anything that slows you down in running your race. Maybe today there's a sin issue in your life that you've been downplaying or rationalizing or ignoring. Maybe you need to be reminded that sin not only slows you down, but it surrounds you, envelops you, trips you up. Don't let sin derail your race. Bring those things in repentance to God today. We also see this, though, that outside of sin, there are other things, other weights, that that things that may not be sinful, but they can also do the same thing. You see that, how in this verse it says, lay aside weight and sin, two different categories. In other words, things that are not sinful, things that might even be good, can become weight if we allow them to slow us down in this race. Things like watching the news. Things like following our favorite sports teams. Things like traveling, career, hobbies. None of those things are bad, sinful. But all of them, if we're not careful, can become weight. And this is what a life of faith looks like. It's ensuring that good doesn't take the place of God. A.W. Tozer talks about this. He says, Whatever keeps me from my Bible is my enemy, however harmless it may be. A life of faith is a sacrificial one. Third, a life of faith is an active one. An active one. This is why this imagery of a race is used. It's something that we see throughout Scripture, and especially in the New Testament. Paul, in particular, loves uh, using this kind of imagery. In fact, we have uh, three examples of this in the New Testament. Go ahead and put those up. We see this in 2 Timothy. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Galatians 5, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? And then 1 Corinthians, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Many scholars in looking at these verses believe that Paul has in mind the Olympics when he's writing these words, where athletes would train all their lives to compete and strive to earn the prize that was set before them. 
See, as followers of Jesus, we were never meant to be spectators of faith. We were meant to be active participants. We were never meant to come to church and listen to and watch other people worship. We were meant to worship. We were never meant to come and hear one sermon a week and have that be our spiritual food. We were meant to be active, to dive into the scriptures on our own each and every day. Uh, Andy Stanley, who's a, a pastor down in Georgia, he posted this earlier this week. He said, Jesus doesn't need any more admirers. He doesn't need any more admirers. He doesn't invite us to agree with him or to think he's a great guy. He invites us to follow him, and following takes action. It takes movement. It takes one more step at a time. What is your next step in your faith journey? What is the thing that God is calling you to? Is it serving more, serving in your church or your community? Is it giving more, giving sacrificially? Is it joining a group, having a faith conversation with a neighbor? What is the step that God is calling you to in this season of your life? A life of faith is an active one. Fourth, a life of faith is an enduring one. We see this in our verse, to run with endurance. In fact, the author uses that word three times in the first three verses of this chapter. And remember who Hebrews was written to. Written to this group of early Christians who were being persecuted and mistreated and and judged because of their faith, and they were considering going back to their old ways. And here we see that there is no prize for going back to the start line. That faith is not how you start, it's how you finish. Uh, back in middle school, I was on my uh, cross-country team. Uh, I'm not sure why, because I've already shared I don't like running, and I wasn't very good at it. Uh, but I wanted to get the feeling of winning just one time. And so I remember there was one race in particular where as soon as the race began, I just started sprinting. Like, I was going so fast. I was in first place by a mile. If it was a 100-meter dash, I would have won every medal in the world. And for a couple of seconds, I thought that I was actually going to win. That thought entered my mind. And then reality caught up. And then all the other runners caught up. By the halfway point of that race, all of my energy was gone, and I finished close to last. See, faith is not about how you start. It's about how you finish. This is where those of you that do run or exercise can maybe help us in this lesson, because you know what it takes to get to the finish line. You know that it takes discipline. You know that it takes preparation and planning. You know it takes training. No one has ever coasted their way to first place. The finish line is only for those who persevere, who have the strength to go on when things get difficult. And this is what the early Christians were being told, and this is what we are being told as well. And so Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24 that the one who endures will be saved. See, this is what a life of faith does. It perseveres. It relies on Jesus to find the strength needed. It knows that the prize at the finish line is worth the pain in the middle. A life of faith is focused, sacrificial, active, and enduring. This is what it takes to run your race well. That brings us to the last thing I want to show you today. We see the example. The example, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand 
of the throne of God. Now, this verse in particular is why we're finishing our series not with the end of chapter 11, but here at the beginning of chapter 12. Because after all of our examples of faith that we've been given, after looking at people like Abraham and Sarah and Jacob and Moses and so many others, here we are shown the perfect example of faith. The one that all of these people looked towards, hoped for, and ultimately point us to. See, the point of this series has never been about glorifying any of our Old Testament heroes of the faith. It's been to get us to Jesus, this ultimate example, this founder and perfecter of our faith. Those words founder and perfecter are interesting. The idea behind them being that he was the beginning, the pioneer, the author, the one who wrote the book on what it means to have faith. And at the same time, he is the completion, the perfection, the one that makes it whole. We see this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, what he began, he will finish. He finishes what he starts. We've seen throughout this series how each of our Old Testament heroes of faith had something that in common, something that they had not seen, something that they looked ahead to. Their faith was in something that they would not see themselves, who Jesus is, and what he would do for us. Then we're told what it is about Jesus that a life of faith is to emulate. That he endured the cross. He despised the shame. He is seated at the right hand of God. Some of you know this, that to die on a cross was the most shameful death of Jesus' day. That it was a death of criminals. And yet Jesus despised the shame, scorned the shame, looked down on that shameful way to die. Why? Because of the power of the resurrection. We see this in Philippians chapter 2, in verse 8. Paul says this, talking of Jesus, "...being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory." of God the Father. See, this, I think, is the point. That this is our example. That if Jesus is our example, when we look to him, what do we see? We see someone that went through persecution and pain and betrayal. He went through the judgment of others. He went through everything, and he persevered through it all because of the joy that was to come. Do you know what that means? the joy that was to come. It means that when Jesus was on the cross, when Jesus persevered through all of the pain of that day, he thought about what it would mean for you and for me, for his people, for the church. He thought about the hope that it would bring, the life that it would bring. He thought about the fact that it would bring us back to the Father when we put our faith in him. And that thought gave him joy to persevere. There's a story I came across uh, recently, some of you might have heard it before, uh, of a man named John Stephen Aquari. Uh, he was a Tanzanian runner in the 1968 Olympics, and his race was the marathon. 
And so he'd trained for this race all his life, and shortly after it began, he fell, and he dislocated his knee and badly injured his shoulder. Apparently, the conditions of this race were really bad because 18 of the 75 runners that had trained for this race all of their life dropped out. But we're told that Aquari refused to give up. In fact, you can look this up online. There's this really cool video watching and, and kind of tracking his story, and you can see him first running and then jogging and then walking and then limping, but refusing to give up the whole time. We're told that after an hour after the winner finished his race, after the medal ceremony had already been taken, Quarry made it to the end, and he finished his race. Afterwards, he was asked why he didn't give up when he was in so much pain, when no one would have blamed him if he had quit. And this is what he said. He said, my country didn't send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. Friends, this is the faith that we have been called to today. This is what a life of faith looks like. It's what Hebrews has been pointing us to the entire time. What the founder and perfecter of our faith, what Jesus showed us in his life. A faith that perseveres. A faith that endures. A faith that finishes the race looking ahead to joy. And the hope that we have been given through the work on the cross. Let us be people And let us be a church that does the same. Run and finish your race well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time and thank you for this day. God, we're grateful. Grateful that you have brought us here. Grateful for the example that you have set. We're grateful that you endured and persevered the cross with us in mind. And so, Father, today I I just want to take a moment and And I want to lift up those of us that are here in this space and and we're tired and we feel beat up and broken and we just want to give up. Lord, we just want it to be over. Lord, things have been hard. Would you give us the strength of your Holy Spirit? Would you encourage us, remind us that we have a cloud of witnesses, that we have a community to strengthen us? Would you remind us that you are walking with us every step of the way? And would you empower us to run our race well? Amen. Receive now the benediction. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Go out and be his disciples. Thank you.